Welcome to Give a Heck. I am your host, Dwight Heck, and for much of my life, lived my life in quiet desperation, wondering how I was going to pay the bills, take vacations, save for retirement, and one day wondering if I would get off the hamster wheel of life and have purpose. A life that most of society lives, which takes us to work, then home, then repeat, and pays us hopefully enough just to survive. The harsh truth that most live with more months than money and have no idea how to live life on purpose, not by accident. This ensures the mass majority are living not just financially broke, however emotionally and mentally as well due to financial pressures. In each episode, I will introduce you to thoughts, ideas, and guests that can help you to learn how you too can live life on purpose, not by accident. Good day and welcome to Give a Heck. On today's show, I welcome Matt Sweetwood. Matt Sweetwood is the CEO and co-founder of Insurious, the insurance platform that protects your most valued gear and equipment in seven minutes or less. He is an internationally known professional speaker, author, and consultant. Matt is a serial entrepreneur, including having scaled a company from $1 million to $100 million with a successful exit. However, his greatest achievement is having raised five successful children to adulthood as a single dad. He is a frequent national TV and publication contributor and has a number one best-selling book, Leader of the Pack, How a Single Dad of Five Led His Kids, His Business, and Himself from Disaster to Success. I'm excited to share with the listeners of Give a Heck the remarkable journey of Matt Sweetwood as Matt and I have a lot in common as we both have five kids and raise them as single dads. I'd like to welcome you to the show, Matt. Thanks so much for agreeing to come on and share with us some of your life journey. Wow. After that introduction, I, I, that's it. I don't have anything to say. We can just end it right there. My ego is swelled. Now, of course, how could I not be on with a fellow single dad of five? I mean, it's not possible. I mean, that's amazing, right? It, it is amazing. Like I, I still, just so the listeners know, I had the pleasure and honor of listening to you get interviewed by one of my mentors and good friends, Tony Watley. And at the end of the podcast, some people don't realize, some, he, he puts his in a special group. There's only a hundred and some of us that we can go and watch his podcast be recorded live and we get to ask questions. And that day I had a canceled appointment. And I was able to go on and listen. And I had the pleasure of being able to ask you some questions. And then Tony encouraged you to be a guest on my up and coming podcast. And it, you know, life is like a spider when they start their web and it just spiders out everywhere. Uh, it, you know, it's led me to you. And I'm so blessed and honored to have you on the show. Um, my first thing I'd like to ask you about and, you know, you probably get this a lot, but I think of it differently than most, right? People will say, well, what's your, you know, tell me about your life. I think about it as, you know, what's your origin story, Matt? Like what key things from your childhood to adulthood that led you to want to be an entrepreneur? What is your origin? What from your earliest recollections, what made it what you want to actually get to the spot that you're at? Hmm. That's interesting. I think for me, it's actually pretty straightforward. Before I answer that, though, let me just say, that, you know, I like your spider comment, but everything happens for a reason, right? Two single dads of five meeting, you know, just like that and ending up together. Obviously there's something, you know, there's a bigger purpose in that. We don't always know what that bigger purpose is, but you just feel it, right? Something bigger about it. So origins for me are easy. Um, I've been in business, you know, I went from breastfeeding to business and that literally is true. My uh, parents were first generation Americans, you know, came over here from Eastern Europe, Poland and Russia, and um, they were born here, but you know, I, I always get confused, first gen, no, they're actually first generation, has two meanings. They were the first ones born here, you know, in the 1920s, and their goal was to make money. They went into business. And so I was around business from the time I was a very little boy, literally working in a warehouse, working in business. I would sit in front of my dad and mom's desk and listen to them. And my mom managed the office and my dad did the, did the business deals and stuff like that. So I learned very, very early. You know, I, I have some great memories of those times of counting cash, you know, back in the day when cash, people actually did it. And, 
you know, I just went on deliveries when we would deliver merchandise and heard people on the phone. And I ended up actually as a um, teenager, really a teenager, late teen, when computers first came out, I actually wrote all the software that ran that business. So I, um, I've had a long journey in business before I ended up, you know, sort of running things myself. Wow. You know, you brought up Russia. My family actually, um, European based and about a hundred and I think it was about 105 years. My family was considered German Russians because they went from Germany to Russia when Russia was so desperate to learn how to farm and take care of things. My family, mm -hmm. uh, my dad's side of the family, they moved to Russia and were there for over a hundred years just before the Bolshevik revolution. They fled shirts on their back, ended up in North America, some in the U S some in Canada. And then you talked about, dealing with your dad and while i worked with my dad in a farm equipment dealership i had to be able to count cash you know, like he literally yeah, yeah, yeah. you you don't just dump it in their hand you got to count the change out you got to count it up to the value they give you if it's a dollar 95 they give you five you count it from that oh yeah he was very stickler about that and mm -hmm. he talked about programming i've done that for a living as well actually before yeah. i got into a finance i was an it consultant and owned a consulting firm but i started programming when i was about 14 right? And yeah, there you go. I did it in, the 80s. in high school. Yeah, I taught myself, yeah. taught myself yeah. how to program. Yeah. Me, Programmed me in basic, business basic. I've uh, used Fortran. <laughs> me too. Me. I've done Fortran too. And I've, oh yeah, I've done. It's amazing how much we See, have. That is the secret. If you program in Fortran, you end up as a single data five. There <laughs> we found the commonality. Okay. It's the Fortran. Oh, Lay that's hilarious. Well, you know, yeah, life again. Back to that spider web. We're, we're just we started this. The spider starts the web and it goes out everywhere. I'm so blessed again. Sorry to, mm -hmm. sorry to the listeners, but I, it, you know, I'm really appreciating um, having Matt on the show. You know, it's nice to have people that you can connect with, both in heart, body, and soul. Right. So thank you for that. Um, you're considered to be a serial mm -hmm. entrepreneur, stepping from many different types of companies to your lifetime. Each one you are learning more about business, and each one you are bringing enormous value from the previous. Now you are the CEO and co-founder of Insurious. I hope I'm saying that right. You are. The platform for seriously easy equipment insurance. What exactly got you into this venture after recently being the CEO of LuxNow, a high-end company for helping the rich and affluent, sharing a marketplace for luxury autos, homes, and yachts? Like, really, where's the commonality between those two? What made you get into doing Insurious? Um, okay, so this is a really interesting, I think this is a very valuable uh, entrepreneurial kind of story. Um, so LuxNow is still running, um, and we're still hoping to get LuxNow off the ground. But LuxNow is a hospitality business, a luxury travel business. And um, that's not a very, very good business to be in during COVID, right? Because travel has come to a stop. Um, the company has a lot of inventory and Miami and New York, you know, South Florida and New York, and these areas were heavily affected. And like all the travel business, from the airlines to the hotels to even Airbnb, if you remember the CEO of Airbnb, which is very similar to what we do, he said it took 12 years to build the platform and six weeks it was all gone. You know, so that business was heavily impacted. But uh, when you're running a luxury marketplace and you have very high end autos and homes and yachts, like we do at Lux now, um, there's an insurance component to that. And that sort of gave me an entree into the insurance business. And while the LuxNow business is in a little bit of a stationary period until travel restrictions are really opened up, um, it was an opportunity to have connections in that insurance business. And coming from the photographic business where I spent 28 years, that's the company I scaled before I exited, um, there was, there's a huge need for insurance and a huge need for access to insurance. For example, camera equipment is the most stolen item on earth practically. Wow. And people think that things like their homeowners insurance and so on cover it, but it doesn't. You go out with your camera, you lose it, it's stolen, it's broken, you drop it, whatever. There's no way to cover it. And I know running, I ran a camera distribution business and a camera store for a long time. And people, this would happen literally almost on a daily basis. And so we were able to develop, it's a FinTech product that allows you to get equipment insurance. And I'm not just talking about for cameras, I'm talking about for bikes, for musical instruments, really almost any kind of valuable equipment that leaves the home, even in the home in some cases, 
um, that leaves the home, we provide very easy access to insurance. You don't need to speak to anybody. You go on the site seven minutes, you fill out and you're insured and it's very economical. Right now the rate's about $12.5 a month for about $6,000 a year worth of insurance. So if you think about it, it's a pretty amazing product. And there is no product like that. In addition to that, the product covers you against things that aren't normally covered, like earthquakes and hurricanes and natural disasters, wow. even terrorism and so on, God forbid. And um, you know, so it's a very unique product. It doesn't exist in any kind of form like that. And we're literally, as we're doing this interview, in beta test, we're just about to launch and market the product full time. So we're very excited. And that's a product that doesn't require travel. It's unaffected by the pandemic. In fact, people I think are more aware of being more secure and this provides the kind of protection. So, you know, I was in a business that could not be more heavily affected by the pandemic. And while that business is sort of, like I said, that business will pick up again, huge pent up demand for luxury travel. Um, right now we're focusing on building that insurance platform, that FinTech platform. So I'm really excited about that. And you, it's an example of never wanting to sit still and just sort of let nature happen to you. You want to be in control to some extent of what goes on. Oh yeah. I, I took a look. I did some, well, I'm a, I'm a type A type of person, very analytical. I, I researched Lux now and I researched, uh, Insurious, and I looked at the Facebook page, and and I, I read that, and I thought, wow, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty big uh, pivot. But now it makes sense why you've done it. You know, I did think, obviously, anybody with common sense, which isn't so common, would think about the fact, well, you know, we're in a pandemic, we're looking at high-end people with some some wealth that want to, you know, share stuff, rent it, like you said, like the Airbnb style. So. The insurious thing gives you access to the middle class and below, right? Even the wealthy will do that. But people this is like, a product, people insurance like, is a product for everybody. Yeah, I, mean, I find, I find the wealth. Have, there are people that take trips that, that go on trips or have, you know, ten twenty thousand dollars worth of camera equipment. They have very high-end bikes. I mean, you know how expensive, you know, racing bikes are and high-end bikes can be. They have musical instruments. They have, all, they have a laptop. How yeah. many people are walking around with Mac? air you know 19s or whatever the heck they have yeah, 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 yeah. and what about the parents who send their kids off to college with these fancy ipads and i this and i that and they get lost or stolen or damaged our insurance actually covers that we're excited about the college market too it's a really really big market and like i said there's nothing like this product out in the marketplace nothing well, and I couldn't find anything. I did. I, I'm the type of person that researched and I thought, wow, this is kind of interesting. I wonder if they have this in Canada. Damn, they don't. And then I was looking and then back to my comment where I mentioned that it really is, is something that'll be appeasing to, not appeasing, but you know, attractive to the middle class and poor. But then on the flip side, when I was thinking that last night where I was going to interject is the wealthy just because you have money and it can get damaged and you can go buy it again, you still like to use other people's money to replace your stuff, right? Well, so well, if you can, do it, if you can do it at people, a discount, right? People got wealthy for a reason, not by wasting their money. Exactly. Right? And this product is so good. I love good. it. I love it. The actually. product is so good. I actually yeah. sometimes go back and check myself. I'm like, can we really, we're really doing this? You know, so we're, and like I said, we, the other aspect of it is we call it seriously easy insurance because yeah. one of the dreads of insurance is, you know, having to deal with an insurance agent, not nothing against insurance agents. That, that's like me. Anybody who sells you something, you know, and you're sitting there, yeah. I want to insure my camera. I don't want to have phone calls. I don't want to have all this stuff. You just go online, you fill out a form, you can do it in about seven minutes if you type, you know, at a reasonable rate and you have insurance. You're yeah. ba you, that's it. You enter your credit card and you're, you're, you're covered. I think that's amazing. So as, as, as a final note on that, you just need to come to Canada once you got things set up. <laughs> may, happen, may happen sooner than you think. You'd be shocked how many, you know, myself, uh, I'm a value-based person. So like we talked about the wealthy using a product like that, my kids, my, I help my daughter and um, her common-in-law get into a house here this summer helped them buy a house and they need a new washer and dryer. So a week ago, I helped them purchase it because, you know, three little kids, not a lot of money. And I looked at the extended warranty and I thought, okay, I called a friend of mine that's an appliance repair technician. I said, what's the most expensive part on this unit? And then labor cost to replace it. Well, it was triple the amount 
of cost it was going to cost me for five years of warranty. So I look at the value of what I'm paying for. Not all extended warranty is good, but what you're offering for the cost is amazing. So, you know, sure. especially when it's talking about expensive camera equipment, I had a client of mine lose over $10,000 got stolen when they were in Mexico a couple of years ago. What a surprise. Home insurance, home insurance didn't cover it. Like of you course. said, they lost 10 grand worth of camera equipment and it was but, lost by the, way, by the airline. That story happens literally when I was running a very large camera store in, in New Jersey, that I would hear a story like that literally once a day. Camera equipment is one of the most, if not the most stolen item on earth, disappears all the time. And our insurance, I just want to emphasize, it's not a warranty. If the, if the camera breaks, the warranty covers it. But if it's stolen, it's lost, you drop it, it's whatever, it's covered. And yeah. so, um, you know, this is a situation where you know, this insurance, like I said, just didn't exist before. And it's a really needed product. You know, bikes, another thing that are heavily stolen, you know, particularly you have a high end bike. If you're smart, I, I lived in New York City for a couple of years. Nobody has fancy bikes there because the, the defense against getting your bike stolen is just to have a bike that's worth about $29, you know, and has a few bangs and bends on it and then nobody steals it. But I mean, you put a fancy bike, I don't care what kind of lock you put on in New York City, it's gone. So. See, you, anyway, you've added, like I said, very excited about this product. We believe that be. this product will scale up very quickly. From an entrepreneur's perspective, it's a very great product because you have multiple verticals. Um, that, of course, creates a challenge because you need a different marketing plan into each vertical. But uh, we're first going to go into an area that I'm very familiar with, and you'll see some marketing in that uh, camera photography market. I think it's amazing though. I just, it just dawned on me. Um, one of the things you're also giving people with a, a fabulous product like that. Like you said, it's not a warranty. It's more of like if it gets stolen or whatever the case may be. But when people get their stuff stolen, and I'll, and I'll go back to the client I mentioned where their stuff was stolen at the airport. It, they never got it off the plane, which they should have never checked it. But regardless of that, you're, it's a violation. You feel violated. So you're giving people... Yeah giving people a peace of mind so that they still feel violated by their stuff being stolen but knowing that they're protected by a fabulous product to replace that makes the healing process of the violation of the theft i, I believe anyway that much greater to uh um, get over is that something that you thought about that it would help of people? course well i mean i didn't think about it insurance this is the nature of insurance insurance provides comfort it provides emotional comfort for you. That's why I think it's one of the drivers behind insurance. I mean, the most emotional insurance you can buy is life insurance. I know. Because you don't it. benefit from it, right? Yeah. I have a great story. I, I, I don't remember whether I mentioned in my book. I, I, have, Go ahead. I have one of my ex-wives sort of come after me and say, you're wasting our money on life insurance as if I'm benefiting from it. No, I don't remember that being in the book. But yeah, yeah, I don't think maybe I did. But I think I wrote about this in one of my articles. I, I've been doing... Uh, but I'm just saying, the, yeah. uh, I, you don't benefit off life insurance, but it gives you peace of mind to know that if something happens to you, your family is protected, yeah. right? The ultimate protection Absolutely. for... Particularly, I mean, you have little children, right? You have, you're managing children. I always worried about that. If something happened to me, what would take care of my children? So I'm a big believer in insurance, particularly from a quality you know, insurance yeah. provider. I, I think that that's a fundamental way um, to, you know, to provide that kind of emotional security that you talk about. Yeah. Well, living, living in, you know, you're giving a living insurance benefit with insurious and life insurance. Again, I've been in this industry for 18 years as a financial planner. Insurance is about 30% of my business. The rest is uh, I do a lot of uh, asset center management, do a lot of uh, finance for clients and insured pension work, but bottom line Life insurance, when I talk to people and I goal set, I have a specific process. I take clients through building relationships, finding out what they want, but you, you hit the nail on the head. It's not about you. It's about those you leave behind. That's right. And, and, the, and the worst people I meet in life, Matt, it, it, just as a side note, would be people that say to me, you know what? I don't care. I'm dead. That's their problem. And I have people that will say that to me, husband, wives, boyfriend, girlfriend. It's, it's truly amazing to me how inter, you know, selfish, entitled people are, that it's just about them, even though they have a family. And I'm thinking to myself, how did you ever get to that point of having that family? Oh, wait a minute, you did it on accident. Now my mantra of living life on purpose, not by accident, 
fits right into your bill, right? You need well, to learn well, how I to think, think about others and not be selfish. Narcissism is pervasive in our society. In yeah. fact, narcissism is uh, one of the fundamentals of my best-selling book that over there on my shoulder, my leader of the pack book, right? Yeah. I talk about, you know, living with somebody who is narcissistic or, you know, some form of that and um, what we do. And, you know, we see this permeate society all over the place. It's oh, really, right. it's really a shame. And, and, and it is, it's really a shame, but you know, that's why I'm in the process and this isn't to sell me, but it's just to r remind the listeners that I'm working on and letting you know, I've pivoted and changed my whole business where I want to take what I've been doing for 18 years successfully in Canada and take it on a global basis because everybody needs to learn how to live life on purpose, right? It doesn't matter where they live. It has nothing to do with specific products. It has to do with relationships. It has to get do with getting to know people, asking questions, making them feel confident that you're there to give them a hand and to coach them and mentor them on the journey of, of life. And life is about finance. It doesn't matter what it is. So I don't need to necessarily sell them a product if they're in Australia. I have people in Australia, people in Hawaii that want to work with me. And, I t and they say, well, how are you going to help us? Well, I'm going to take you through a process. It doesn't matter where you live. It's going to help you live life on purpose. And, and, and realizing that you're going to live a more fruitful, eventful, happy life. And, you know, I call it products a big life. I call it a big life. Yeah, well, it is. And, and people just, it, it's so sad right now. I'm, people I'm live on a hamster wheel. I'm going to a little bit. Sure. And this, com this actually uh, comes from some of the spiritual literature. You know, it comes, it's a, sort of a Talmudic concept. But it, your purpose, your, your goal in life is to find your purpose. Right? And once you find your purpose, it's much easier to live your life on purpose right? Because you have the real goal sort of to know what you're here for. I think for me, you know, I struggled with that. I ran a business and, you know, okay, you're running a business. I was selling cameras. I was selling film. You know, we did a lot of really good things. We invented some things. You know, there's some really excellent things happened, but it never really felt like that was my purpose until one day I looked at my, my children, all five of them, blonde haired and blue eyed like their dad. I was, believe it or not, at one time that was blonde up there right yeah we go to the same barber now i know that and um blonde haired blue-eyed kids and i said to myself that's your purpose you were put here to grow these kids and have them turn into useful productive you know amazing adults and productive citizens of society and it really was a very rewarding moment i knew that was my purpose and living life on purpose actually helped me you know raise them i you know there was sort of that um that epiphany you have. Of course, they're now up and adults and all successful and stuff. You read about it in my book. But um, I'm trying to find my next purpose, right? That's what, I'm, that's, that's what I'm out there for. You know, we all stumble through life to, again, you know, look for and find our purpose. And again, that's why I want to go on a global level to help people figure that out through a goal setting system I developed. Um, so you talk about the fact that you want to continue to look for your, you know, your, your new purpose and you're always reinventing yourself, it seems, which is fantastic. Do you have coaches yourself? Do you, do you have people that you reach out to that will say, Matt, that's dumb or Matt, that's amazing. Or Matt, have you thought about it this way? I think that's, that's, we call that person the wife, right? Or the girlfriend, right? <laughs> that's, um, to, to be honest with you, I, I don't usually, I, I just listen. I'm a listener. You know, and I try to draw inspiration from lots of people. I've always been like that my whole life. Like, I hope I walk off this interview and have learned something. I believe in, and this once again is a very um, spiritual concept, which is that you try to learn from everybody. And I make it a point to do that. I try to, I have sort of two rules of life that I live by, which I think are very powerful rules. And that is, number one, I always try to make sure that every interaction I have, the person leaves me better off than they entered. And if that sometimes means when I'm buying a pack of bubble gum at the store, I leave the clerk with a little bit of a smile, or we're on a very serious podcast like I am right now, and hopefully you'll have left this interview with something you've gained from me or from my book or from my assets. And I listen to you very, very carefully. And so that's my second principle is I try to learn from everybody. 
So I'm thinking about what you're saying to me and you know, particularly that what we were just talking about, living life on purpose. And I sort of immediately asked myself, am I living every day on purpose or am I just floating? What am I doing? I just sort of had that little moment in the back of my mind, which I'll revisit. So I think that those are two very excellent principles to live by. And I think if every, I don't want to sound meme-ish right now, but you know, like I'm making a meme. But I think that if everybody lived by that, you know, to make everybody else's day a little better, right? Leave, make sure that everybody you interact with leaves you a little more positively and try to look at every single person you interact with and learn something from them. I taught my kids that. I taught my kids that. And the reason I, I can't stop smiling for this interview, man, I, like, I can't wait to someday meet you and have a cup of coffee and get to know you better because I have a chapter, I was just going through it with my editor. There's a chapter in my book that talks about uh, whether or not it makes the final. It talks about the fact that it, since my kids were little, I always taught them to be genuine and leave people better than they were. So if they walked into a store and let's use pack of gum, you're buying a pack of gum or whatever, and you see something unique about that clerk. Maybe they're wearing a nice necklace, earrings, or their nice shirt or whatever. Be genuine, compliment them, because that could be the first thing they've had positive happen in their day, their week, their month. And that can be a little bit of fuel enough to help them get through their life. And they've I've done enough research to know that people have avoided um, you know, depressive cycles or even suicide just because somebody being kind, having gratitude. Um, for you know leaving them better than you initially walked into that circumstance and seeing them is is so important and I always teach my children I tell my clients this when I coach them about you know when you when I leave here from your house we could have another four or five meetings and I'm helping you get through your your struggles your tribulations your trials I want you to be happy that I'm coming back and if you ever feel that you're not going to be happy that I'm coming back, let's have a discussion. Let's figure it out before it gets to a point where you close yourself off to getting help because I did something that you didn't particularly like, or you need something that I'm not giving you. Let's have that interaction, right? Yeah, I think that you actually touched on a very important point. Um, one of the, the speeches that I give, one of the talks, you know, keynotes that I talk about, I, I, do, I do some for uh, employment, human resource. You know, and I've spoken in human resource conferences, let off conferences and so on. And um, whenever you do that, you always get on some panel somewhere. And typically, I, I've had this question asked of me several times, which is, what is the criteria used for hiring? Because I've hired thousands of people in, in my career over my, you know, 800 years in business. And, <laughs> and they always say, you know, and you can't say like hard work and honesty, right? Because everybody says, that, you know, I want to honest, hardworking, you know, person to come work in my company. So you can't say that, but what, what is the next most important quality that you always look? And it blows everybody away when I say this. I always say it's kindness, you know, and that's not a trait that's usually associated in the employment world, in the business world. But I found that if you assemble a company of kind people, they're going to be kind to the customers. They're going to be kind to the suppliers. They're going to be kind to each other. And you're going to create a work environment which has a level of peace that creates a very high level of productivity and bliss in the work at workplace. And kind doesn't mean that people can't be aggressive, right? But there's, there's a difference. And I find that and certainly as I've gone through my career, I analyze people like that very carefully. And part of you know, being kind is, are they gonna fight with the other employees? Are they gonna do things? How do they treat people? How do they do that? And I think for me, this is a fundamental, this is a, a fundamentally human concept. In the animal world, animals tend not to be so kind to each other, right? If you know, two, two, two tigers come across a a piece of meat, right? And then there's like a small little, uh, you know, I don't know, gopher coming by that one. Gophers don't eat meat. I don't know, some small <laughs> little animal comes yeah. by that wants to share the meat. I don't think those two tigers are gonna share the meat. They're gonna be like, you know, that little raccoon looks hungry. You know, we should give him a little, we should show him some kindness. He's had a hard day, right? You know, we ate all the big game. Now, I don't think that's gonna happen. And I don't think the hungry tiger 
right, is gonna is gonna save some leftover for the other one. I know packs have certain behavior and stuff like that, but just go with the concept. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Animals, animals in general don't show kindness is a human emotion. God gave it to us to allow us to show it to other people. Expects it of us. Expects us to show charity and to show that kind of thing. So I think that if you surround yourself with kind people, use this as a primary trait. And so, and and create a business with kind people. I think you're going to path to success is going to be faster, greater, and certainly much more enjoyable. Yeah, kindness is so it's it's unique actually because it doesn't exist on a scale that people realize. And when I'm coaching my clients to be better um, spouses, better employees, better business owners, mm-hmm. I always tell them, you know, the path to like. I'm a Catholic Christian and I'm a practicing Christian and it doesn't mean that mine's the end all be all. But one of the things I learned growing up was, you know, what people always say, kill them with kindness. But when you're kind to people, you obviously become, you know, you're serving them. You're a servant of others. And if you're a a good servant and you serve enough people with kindness and, and also one of my superpowers is empathy, you become a natural born leader without even trying. And people don't even look at you like people don't even look at you like you're necessarily a leader. You have a a chemistry, you vibrate at a same level when you're around one another. You may be their boss. People want to work for you. Yeah. They want to serve. They want to work for you. Yeah. You may be their boss, but it doesn't mean that they they treat you like a friend because they know that you're going to smile at them. And if you, and if they're doing something wrong, you're going to do it with kindness. If they're hurting and there's problems at homes, you're going to have empathy. So kindness and empathy to me are, are key for being a good leader of human beings and, mm-hmm. and being that servant. If you're not, I'm going to be a servant the rest of my life. And because of that, I am a natural born leader and I've been, I've had to accept that originally I didn't believe that, but it's something that over, you know, my 50 some years, I've learned that kindness is key for everything. Absolutely everything. You know, I coach, um, I coach also, and a lot of, a lot of times men come to me, you know, for that proverbial dating coaching, right? You know, and they, and typically when they come, they've read all sorts of things about having the game and all sorts of, of this stuff. And I'm always like, it ultimately comes down to kindness, like kindness you know, women are going to think that's weak. I'm like, no, not when it's done in the, in the right way. And you sort of explain to them that if you're just kind to everybody, you get in the habit of being kind to everybody, you'll always have game. Always. And if you just, and you know, you sort of demonstrate the technique a little and invite, you know, invite anybody who's interested, just reach out to me. I can explain the technique. But in any event, um, you know, that kindness factor, I think, is just crucial and would certainly make it without like sounding like we're having, we're doing rainbows, lollipops, and unicorns. Um, because neither of us guys look like lollipops, and unicorns, and rainbows, and guys. Um, oh. I think that the world would run a whole lot better. Yeah. And uh, for the listeners, Matt, I seen yesterday, I haven't had a chance to read any of them. You've actually got articles that people can read that you've done. Um, I forget what site I was on where you actually, you're the author of them, the relationship articles and stuff. And, and honestly, I looked at it last night. I was just too tired. I had to do some other stuff. Um, I'm going to read some of them, but for our listeners, Google's a powerful tool. Put in Matt Sweetwood. He's got uh, so M. much Sweetwood great content. I'll give you my website. I'm msweetwood.com. I'm actually msweetwood everywhere. at msweetwood on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, everywhere. And I promise if any of your listeners reach out to me. I will reply back. msweetwood.com. I've got literally hundreds of articles there on relationships and business. Obviously, my best-selling book, Leader of the Pack. You think it's a worthwhile read? Oh, it is. It's very good, uh, honestly. And I'm the type of person that's straight up. Um, This is a side note. If I read something and I like it or I comment it's never phony. It's actually real. If I liked your comment, you put something on, let's say Instagram or Facebook or whatever. Um, you know, I've actually done it. I can't stand people that are phony and think they're doing you a favor by not actually connecting on a level that's honest and truthful. So well, you, really, you listen to my book on audible, right? Yeah, absolutely. From, and you know, swear to you, I listen to it cause I do a lot of it. So if I'm driving that 20 minutes, Mm-hmm. And I got my screen on my vehicle 
ties to my audible on my phone. And there was times where I literally would be driving and stop. And I knew I had 10 minutes before I had to go into an appointment and I'd hit the little button to rewind it and listen to certain points again. Uh, it resonated with me that much. Um, I really enjoyed it. So I know my listen, my listeners, you do not have to be a single dad to enjoy it. It's the story. My book is, Reali realizing my book is, realizing yeah. people that, you know, the ability to tell a story and resonate does not always have to do with, you know, the end result of him being a single dad and scaling businesses. It's about connection, commonality. My book is about you leadership, see, leadership yeah, and overcoming absolutely. and how to find your way through difficult, uh, you know, things that happen to you, very, very difficult things when yes. you think life is in a really difficult spot or you just want to be more successful. My book is really, that's why I call it Leader. I loved it. Act, I loved right? it. It's, really a, it's a totally a leadership book. And I'll make sure that in the show notes that uh, we talk about, have your website in there and talk about the book. So one of the things we were just talking about, um, as we talk about leader of the pack, we talk about leadership through kindness and serving others. I love our conversation, by the way. Um, I, obviously, I'm not going to get through all the points I put down here. But one of the things I wanted to ask you, what would you say in your life? Are there some of the things you wish you had done better as a leader of others? Oh, that's easy. I mean, I wish I was a way better father than I was. I mean, there were, you know, you can sit there, we can sit there and beat our chests, and I can tell you, you know, I don't yeah, want to spoil the book too much, but my kids are all, you know, super successful, graduated from top colleges, everything looks good. But there were many times, you, you know, when, you know, I was going through very difficult times. It was, you know, my wife left me. I was struggled with my own loneliness. I struggled with my own weight. I always had a weight problem. I'm in great shape right now, thank God. But um, always struggled with those things. And, you know, a lot of times maybe I was a little selfish. And one of the things that I've had to learn through my whole life is obviously to forgive myself for all of that. But I think that if, if I could do it again, that would be the thing that I would want most is I would really want to be a better parent and, you know, do really a better job and make my life better for, you know, a little better for my kids and a little easier for them because they went through some very difficult times as you'll read about in my book. Yeah. But um, for me, that's really, it. if I could fix that, that would, that would make things a lot better. And then of course I probably would buy Apple and Amazon stock um, about 20 years ago, take all of my Netflix money too. I'd buy Netflix, Netflix too. Netflix, Tesla, I don't know, pick a few. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Let's, let's, let's compile the 1980 stock portfolio, go back in time. And so, you know what? Forget about that whole thing I said about parenting. Who cares? If I had just done that, I'd get to give them so much money, they'd forgive me for all the stuff I did. Oh, I love it. But you know what? Everything you said is so true. I, I, I have a lot of the same things that I've gone. You know, my kids are all adults now, too. None of them are in jail. That's my biggest success. Right. By the way, that's my line. Like, <laughs> I say it all the time. Book, right? I looked at them when these little kids, I'm like, this is what kept me in the game. I'm looking at them. I'm like, if I don't do something, these kids are going to end up in jail. They're going to walk into a church and shoot people, right? They're going to be on <laughs> drugs or they're going to be in jail. So it's on you, Matt. You better do something or you're, you're going to have a hard one to explain. And you should know that if you write a book about raising five kids, right, they probably all turned out pretty well because you know, if one of them ended up being like a serial killer, you probably can't write the book about being a single dad of five, right? But then the book becomes about how I raised the serial killer. Yeah. Okay? So no, I don't believe any of my kids are serial killers. I oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. You know what, though? You did your kids a great service. Where You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But by writing that book and being vulnerable, um, you're helping so many people. And again, like we talked about earlier, there'll be people that'll never respond or do. I know there are. Book, I know but there are. But you know what? You've touched people, brother. You touched me in that book. And listening to it, obviously, I can resonate at a different frequency than other people reading it because of being a single dad of five kids, struggling, abusive um, wife that I was originally married to mentally. And there was physical stuff that I went through, not from me to her the other way. It was just, it was very hard and your book is a blessing. So no matter what you did wrong, you did the end result, the right thing is you put it on paper. Your kids, I imagine, are super proud of you. They may not agree with everything that you decided to put in a book or do in the book. You can't please everybody. But you know what? It's not about just them. It's about serving the world. 
serving. You know what I did too, by the way, I will freely admit that when I had my final manuscript, I handed it to all five of them. And I said, if there's anything in here that really upsets you, let me know. Because my kids are the most important thing to me, you know, having commercial success with a book or getting a book yeah. out there, even helping other people. And so I actually did that. And there were a few changes in, in the book as a result of that. They just felt uncomfortable about the way I said something. Talk about it, and I did make a few changes to the book because they didn't, the anecdotes and things like that didn't ultimately materially affect the message. But I will tell you that the most, and anybody who writes a book will tell you, unless you're a very famous person, you know, very famous, um, even though I have a big social following and stuff, it's not the same thing as being, you know, famous, um, is that you're not going to make money off a book. You spend an enormous amount of time writing it, putting it together, getting it out there, marketing it, getting people to give you reviews. And it's not a moneymaker. For me, the reward in the book is right now, I think I have 137 five-star reviews here in the U.S. on Amazon, probably more, as we talked about before, in other countries. But if you read the reviews, people talk about it changing their lives, making them realize things about their current relationship, making them see things in business that they didn't really see, making them feel like they too can get there if you did this. Because, you know, as you know, my book is a big mea culpa. It's a, <laughs> I talk about all of the incredibly stupid things I did and repeatedly did until I figured them out. And I talk about how to figure those things out a little bit in the book. So for me, it's those reviews and the people that come to me. And I know there's people out there. I just had somebody write me a few days ago. Um, she was a Facebook friend of mine. I don't really know her, but she, I don't know her personally. I just, you know, we've been Facebook. You know, it is on Facebook. Yeah, yeah of course. You, just, you connect Connections. with And she yeah. wrote me this per private message. She goes, I read your book. It changed my life. I can't, I can't believe you went through that. I now understand so many things in my life. It really helped me. Bless you, bless you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, and, when you, know you get, and when you get stuff like that, I mean, it makes it's it all priceless. Right. It's priceless. You know, if I haven't already made sure the listeners understand, you know, I appreciated it. And I thank you for, you know, being vulnerable and writing it. And after listening to that book, and then I was getting encouraged for years to do, um, my book won't necessarily be, it's, it's going to be so much different in a sense. There'll be little stuff about, you know, lessons and stuff about giving a heck. But um, well, that's one of the things I want to, you know, close up here with. There's a couple more quick things I want to talk about is um, if you had to give our listeners one last closing message, what would you tell them in regards to giving a heck and never giving up? I, I mean, it's the standard line. You haven't failed until you quit right? It's as, sim it's as simple as that. And, and I want to say that with a caveat, because sometimes you need to cut your loss, right? I come from a very competitive electronics business. And there's a saying in that business that sometimes the first loss is the best loss. Okay, so sometimes you have to take your lumps and move on. But make sure you're doing it with not because you don't feel like it, or you're quitting, you're doing it out of the best decision. But in general, you haven't failed until you, until you quit. And I have a personal slogan that I live by that it, it's actually my personal motto. Everybody has one. It's not a marketing thing. I actually live by it. And I always ask myself the following questions, very simple question. How badly do I want it? Because I am a firm believer that if you want something badly enough, you will do whatever it takes to make it happen. So sometimes when I'm in business projects or I'm coaching somebody or I'm, I'm just doing something, even, you know, I'm working out, I'm trying, I'm, I'm actually, I'm in Florida now. I lived in New York and New Jersey most of my, almost my whole life I'm in Florida. Took up golf again, right? And I wasn't playing golf as well as I thought. And I'm like, why aren't you playing as well as you thought? And I'm like, cause you don't really want this badly enough until you really want to play. And I use that most silly example, but I use that. And until I, like a couple of, like two months ago, I got very serious about it. I go, okay, you're going to, you, this is not going to happen by magic because you feel like going out there to play. Golf is a technical sport. You have to know what you're doing. You have to have a proper swing. You have to just know every detail of the game. How badly do you want? Well, I decided I want to, you know, shooting 84 my whole life was not working for me. I want to shoot 74. So we're well on our way to do that, but it's requiring some effort and, you know, sore hands. My thumb right now is a little sore because I hit so many balls. But anyway, I, and I say this in your business life, and I use this as my children as an example. I think it's a fundamental principle of my book. I looked at those little kids 
when the, my wife walked out, my youngest was 18 months, my oldest was eight, five kids, 18 months through eight. And I looked at it and I said, I don't want them going to jail. I don't want them, just like you said. And how is this going to happen? I don't want to raise, I don't want to do this, right? I'm a young guy. I don't want to have to have five kids for the next 20 years, take care of. And then I looked at them. I said, if you love them enough, you're going to figure out what to do. And it was just a question of wanting to have them and our family life be successful badly enough. And so I was willing to do whatever it took, whatever sacrifice it took. You know, I would, like I said, I wish I did a better job, but whatever. I still was there the whole time. I did whatever it took. And business was like that. My electronics business required reinvention over and over again. We almost went out of business a couple of times. You can imagine the technological advances that happened over the last 25 years. My company was a film seller. We were like one of the largest sellers of film in the country. Within a very short amount of time, film was gone. We used to sell small stores. The small stores all went away. We had to pivot off that. So it's really just a question. And I couldn't let my business be a failure. So it was just a question of how badly you want it. So this is what I tell your audience out there. This is, you know, you're talking about having a purpose, having whatever it is. If you want something badly enough, just make it happen. Do whatever it takes. And if you're not, maybe you just don't want it badly enough. Simple as that. And I do say that to myself sometimes. I say, you know, maybe this is not going well because I really just don't want it badly enough. And that's okay. Right? That's okay sometimes. But if you if you're not if you're not being successful, ask yourself the question, do I want it badly enough? How badly do I want it? If I want it badly enough, I'll make it up and do anything. Yeah, and you know, you talk about people wanting badly enough. I know myself. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's raising kids or it's getting into business or just trying to accomplish a new hobby, like you're talking about golfing or whatever. People quit so close to the finish line and accomplishing and, and reaching that next pinnacle or that plat that, you know, that temporarily camping spot where, where, where they, you know, they appreciate what they've done and they forget to continue to climb and then they quit because they don't see the, it, just over the mountain is their win and they quit way too soon on all aspects of life. And they just need to stay more focused and not be afraid of failure. Right. You be relentless. If you want something, you might not even be close to the finish line. It doesn't matter. So if you hit you a, want it yeah. badly enough. You just get yourself to the finish line. You just do whatever it takes. Push, 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 push. And you, you know watch, what? You, know, you need to watch Rocky a few times. Okay. Yeah. That's the movie Rocky. And Why analyze did, your association. How did, a, how did a chump, overweight, almost over the hill fighter with a low IQ? I'm not saying Sylvester Stallone has. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get I'm just saying the character, low IQ, right? How did that guy fight the greatest fighter in the world to a draw? Because he wanted it badly enough. The whole movie is personifies how he wanted to be competitive and to show that he wasn't a chump so badly he was able to fight at a world-class elite level well beyond his capability. And, you know, people understand the simple concept of Rocky, right? Underdog, fought hard, it feels good. But that movie has significant philosophical brilliance because it's really a test to the human spirit of wanting not to fail badly enough that you can act, you can perform at a world-class level, even at that, if you want something badly enough. To me, uh, I took that lesson movie. with me my whole life. Great movie. I've seen it, I don't know, at least a dozen times. Yeah, I me still too. remember I've when it, it came out. And if you actually read what Sylvester Stallone, well, it was the, the whole thing was uh, about him about the struggles he went through, but put into a different way for people to be able to relate better. He's, he's actually a very good storyteller, more so than people give him credit for. Well, people think he's dumb because he played the character, but he wrote the story. Yeah, the story I, but most him. people don't know that. You know, you could probably ask 10 people out of 10 people in a room of 100 might actually know that. The other 90 have no clue. They're just like, okay, you know what I mean? Right. They just, oh, Adrian. Adrian. It's no, yeah. a really good story behind Rocky is that he actually was offered money for the script. Big time, yeah. He was offered money for the script, but they said, you couldn't act in it. You couldn't be part of it. We'll just pay you for the script. And he said, no. And he ended up having to like sell his car, sell, like to sell, yeah. he had to like hawk his life. Like he sold yeah. his dog. That's yeah. why there's a dog in the movie, right? Because he actually sold his dog to get money to try to go on. And eventually he produced the movie. And obviously I'm sure, I think he went back movie. after the fact and bought that dog back though, if I remember. Yeah, this. right. I think that you're, I think yeah. you're right. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. So our time is up. I, you know, I want to respect our listeners. In the big sense? 
<laughs> you know what? My final prayer. You know? you know what? That's one thing. If I checked out right now, Matt, I would, I wouldn't uh, be on my, you know, my last dying breath going, I wish I worked harder. I live a life of faith, family work. I have since I was very little. And, and if I died right at this moment, I'd be blessed because I spent and sacrificed and invested so much to raise my kids, just like you, you know, and at the bottom line, I've, I've, regrets are a waste of energy, right? I used to dwell on them. I don't anymore. So if it's my final call right now, and it's your final call after reading your book and getting to know you today, I think you're blessed and highly favored, just like I am to, you know, go to wherever you believe is the afterlife. For me, it's heaven, right? So, um, you know, I really appreciate you being on the show today and uh, sharing your sharing your experiences. Uh, even though we've talked about it already, could you do me a favor and please tell the listeners again what the best way is to reach you and also I'll make sure it's in, the, in our show notes too. For me, very easy, msweetwood.com. I got my, I'm an early social media adopter. So I got M Sweetwood. I got it on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, LinkedIn, Instagram, everywhere. I have a big social following and I really actively use social media. So please reach out to me, M Sweetwood at msweetwood.com, at msweetwood or msweetwood.com. And leader of the pack, check it out. Yes, please, please do. It is, right? And if you're like me and not a person that has a lot of time to pick up a book, get use Audible. It's uh, great on Audible as well. Um, so thank you so much for being on Give a Hack, Matt. I appreciate your time. Uh, I appreciate your insight and your information. I appreciate the fact you wrote an amazing book. And yeah, you're such a kind individual. And you know, I hope the listeners check you out. And obviously, if you have any questions in regards to my experiences um, with Leader of the Pack or my journey through the five um, children, people reach out to me. Uh, mine's just giveaheck.com. So thank you very much again, Matt. Have a it's fantastic. Been, it's been my pleasure. Look, evening. I mean, we're like bros, right? Single dads of five. I mean, we're connected forever. Absolutely. And I'm waiting for that cup of coffee. You have to come to visit me in Miami. I hear we have good weather. Here. Yeah, I haven't been to Florida in, oh goodness, it's been probably 10 years, but yeah, we'll definitely have to do that. So I'm you looking, have a, I look over my left shoulder right there, I'm looking out at the ocean. Oh, please. I look out and I see snow on the ground. <laughs> what, what is snow? What's that? We have, yeah. You know that stuff that builds up on the inside side of your freezer? Yeah. <laughs> out of your fridge? Ah, you have that on the outside of the freezer? You got to get that <laughs> Okay, Matt, I, pre I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. God bless you, brother. Thank you for taking time out of your day and listening to Give a Heck. If you find value, I'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and family so they too can learn how to live life on purpose, not by accident. So you do not miss the next episode. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and please also post a review. I look forward to reading your comments. This has been Dwight Heck. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or today's show notes, please check out my website, giveaheck.com. And until next time, together let us all strive to give a heck.